This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. Make sure that you text at HB Converge to 81010 so that you get the text updates from us. Uh, we like to keep you in the loop, tell you what's going on. One of those things that's going on that we like to keep you in the loop about are the small groups that meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7. So this may not continue through the entire summer looking the same way that it does, but actually right now this is still working. So I think the, the plan this week is still... Uh, Tuesday at the the Sumis at 7 and Thursday at the Velez's at 7 and um, if you haven't come to that if you're interested in more information talk to me talk to them um, text that uh, I'm gonna put that number back up again for just a second text that number to know where and when to show up we'd love to have you there Um, this is a great group and an awesome environment but And the smaller groups is when you really get a chance to kind of flesh that out and have some accountability and and get into the material in a deeper way. So if you're interested in doing that and not doing that yet, I would encourage you to make it out to one of the Tuesday or Thursday groups with the Velezes or the Sumis. Um, Heritage is still looking for people to help out with the hospitality teams. Uh, So if you're interested in doing that, you can talk to me or uh, you can talk to Dave or you can scan this QR code. Uh, they need a couple of people. I mean, th- there's a, a pretty big hospitality team every Sunday. There's a lot of options. You know, you can get involved quarterly. You can serve specific Sundays. There's a lot of different ways, a lot of different levels of involvement that you can engage in in that. And that's, you know, helping out in the parking lot or holding doors open for people or uh, showing people where different rooms in the church are. You know, if you're decent at geography and you can figure out which uh, part of the church is Europe and which part of the church is Asia and get people around that way. They really need people for all of those roles. Um, So yeah, there's a QR code for that. And then Kathy Colling, I think is our contact for that. But if you need any more information, uh, just talk to me or or anybody on the leadership team and we can uh, get you more info on that. Okay, so that's all I have for announcements. But I have one more thing I wanna share with you guys. So uh, were any of you able to be there for Secret Church? when we did that a little while back. Okay, awesome. So, Secret Church was specifically, you know, uh, David Platt's ministry informing us about the imbalance, about the number of unreached people there are out there, the 3.3 billion people that if nothing changes, will live their life from birth to death without ever having an opportunity to hear about the gospel of Christ. And I know not everybody is specifically called to missions. I think more people are than realize, but I I know not everybody has a specific calling to that. Everybody's life is a little different. Everybody's trajectory is a little different. But um, I just want to share this clip um, of David Platt discussing his choice to stay, his reasoning behind staying as a pastor in America instead of going to the nations. I just loved the the way that he, he talked this out, and I just wanted to share this with you. So here's the deal. I can't remember if I've told this story at a secret church before, though I know I've told it 
before many times because it's a significant part of my story. I remember when I was in seminary, graduate school, doing theological training, and I started seeing what we're seeing in God's word. I started learning about God's passion for his glory among all the nations. And at the same time, I started learning about the state of the world, what we're gonna see in a minute. There are many different nations and people groups that have not been reached by the gospel yet. And I started thinking, well, if this is the purpose of my life, to enjoy and exalt God's glory in all the nations, and there are nations, people groups, where the gospel hasn't gone, then this is a no-brainer. I need to become a missionary to another nation. And Heather, my wife, and I started praying through that for our future. And one day, the president of an international missions organization, the IMB, came to our campus. His name's Jerry Rankin. And I was asked to take him to breakfast. And I thought, well, this is my chance to share with him what God's been putting on my heart, Heather's heart. This is our chance to go. So I talked with Heather the night before, told her I was taking a breakfast, and I said, I think I'm gonna tell him we're ready to go to another nation. Is that okay with you? And she said, it's okay with me. So we prayed. The next morning, I went off to breakfast with great anticipation, sat down for breakfast with Dr. Rankin, started pouring out my heart. I said, Dr. Rankin, I see this in God's word. The purpose of my life is to glorify God among all nations. I see the needs among the nations. So my wife and I are ready to go. How, how do we go? And he looked back at me for about 60 seconds and encouraged me in what I had just said to him. And then for the rest of breakfast, he talked with me about the need for pastors to work in the church here for the spread of the gospel to nations that have not been reached with it. And I was so confused. Like I went home that day. Heather was all excited. She's thinking, well, where are we going to go? She asked me, how did it go? And I told her, I said, I think the president of the IMB just talked me out of becoming a missionary. And Heather's face kind of dropped. It was like I disappointed her, like I'd failed the interview and ruined our chances of going to the nations as missionaries. But looking back, I am so thankful for that breakfast conversation that day because, so follow this, Dr. Rankin put a category in my mind that I don't think was there before. And looking back now, I don't know why, it wasn't there, but he, so here was the category. Apparently, there is a type of person who is zealous to glorify God among all the nations, but who doesn't become a missionary. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, of course, there's a category like that. Someone who's zealous to glorify God among all the nations, but doesn't become a missionary, that's called a Christian, right? Like, are missionaries the only people who are zealous to, uh, to live for the purpose of God, to glorify God among all the nations? Like, where's that in the Bible? Well, we've just seen from cover to cover in the Bible, from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, all of God's people are created to enjoy God and exalt God and all of his glory among all the nations. This is for all of us. And we just talked about it. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus inside of them. And the Spirit of Jesus wants the world for Jesus. So do you have the spirit of Jesus in you? Then you want the world for Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. God, help us. We have taken the ultimate purpose of God in the world, and we've made it an optional program for a select few Christians in the church. That is totally unbiblical. 
It's totally unbiblical. The spread of God's glory among all nations is not an optional program for a few Christians in the church. The spread of God's glory among all nations is the ultimate purpose for which every Christian has breath. It's why you're breathing right now. This is why you're alive. Every child, student, adult, senior, adult, whoever you are, you are created to enjoy God and exalt God in all of his glory among all of the nations. And if this is God's purpose for your life, and it's not what you would say is your purpose for your life, then whose purpose needs to change? The ultimate purpose of every Christian and every church and every group of Christians, this is why the church exists, is to enjoy and exalt God in all of his glory among all of the nations. Your life has a global purpose by the design of God. Your church has a global purpose by the design of God. That's truth number two. Oh, so, man, that is, that is just such a poignant reminder to me. Like, this is something that I try to do, but this isn't something I try to do all the time. This isn't something I try to do enough. This isn't something I try to do with all of my being. You know, a lot of the time, this just kind of slips to my back burner. And I can live as a Christian, but then the, the whole point of being a Christian is to love God and glorify God and enjoy him forever and bring other people to him. And how much of my time does that take? How much of my, my daily life do I put into that? So there's a ton of different ways to do this. And I'm sure all of you are engaged in some level of this in your lives right now. Something that you should consider if you haven't already are the disciple-making teams that Heritage is doing right now. This is a model that we saw at other churches, that our, our mission staff saw at other churches and knew that they needed to emulate. So then they've brought it here. And this is something that we've been going through uh, one small group at a time for the last year and a half. So there's actually a disciple-making team interest meeting on the 27th where they go a little bit more into detail about what that looks like, what the options are. Here's some testimonies from people that have done this uh, over the last year and a half or so. If you're interested in doing that, I would highly encourage you to talk to me or talk to the coffees or talk to Isaiah or Mariah. Talk to somebody that you know is engaged in this and get some more information. You don't have to go to this meeting. This doesn't have to be the way that you do this. But I would just highly encourage you to remember that this is a huge part of what it is to be a Christian, is to, to share the gospel with the people around us in, in daily life. And that is hard to do sometimes. And it's easy to live a church life without living a Christian life and let that slip out of being part of your daily routine. So I, I think the disciple-making teams are an awesome way to include that and a, and a great way to, whoop, to, to, uh, to keep that in mind and, and to build some structure around that and to use a model that uh, we've seen work. So... Sorry, that was, that was really heavy. This is normally like an icebreaker time. I just, I love that message so much. That what is that person called? The person that knows this is important, but doesn't go to the nations. There's gotta be a name for, oh right, he's a Christian. That's, that's the basic call to all of us. So um, I'm just gonna open us in prayer and then I'm gonna turn things over to Dave uh, to continue in, uh, in this series. <laughs> Thank you God so much for all of the people in this room today. Um, thank you for the unique call the unique gifts, the unique talents that you've assembled here. And I just pray that you would 
you would reach into these hearts and reach into these lives, reach into my heart and show me the ways that I'm not using my talents for you the way that I should. Um, God, I just pray that you would soften our hearts, that you'd help us to see the, the people around us and the need for your gospel and, uh, and that you would just help us to be in love with the gospel in such a way that it comes out naturally. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do, Lord. Thank you for all the ways that you're moving. And I just pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds and, uh, and bless Dave as he brings the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Josh. Uh, for clarity, I might have just missed it, but when and where is that meeting? Oh, okay. Oh, all right. There you go. Talk to Josh. Talk to Josh. Plus 25. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, perfect. Thanks. All right, guys. We have been in 1 Corinthians for this entire spring. And so if you've been with us through the spring, then you've walked through that with us. If you haven't been, then you're catching the tail end of a series and that's okay, because um, we're going to roll actually right into 2 Corinthians after this, which is continuing the story of the Corinthian church. But if you want to find your place, we're actually in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 to wrap things up uh, today. But I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, there are some new faces in the room today. Some of, some of those are students, but they're actually new faces of our leadership team as well. And maybe you're feeling like you don't know all the old faces of the leadership team. That's fair enough. Half the faces have been covered up for the whole semester anyway. Uh, but we hope you get to know those, those faces that have been around a while too. But for today, for the first time or first time kind of officially, there are Justin and Joy Victor. They're separated, but only by like the location of the table in the room. They're they're very much a unit there. Um, <laughs> ben and Larissa Forrest are in the back right here, and also Matt and Rhonda Hankins are going to be hanging out with us some. They're in the back right over here. There are lots of other leadership team people that are around, and uh, and we hope to have a huge leadership team because we want to be able to have connections with so many of you and with being able to spread out at these tables. Do you guys like the tables? Yeah? Okay. It's been a while since we were able to do that consistently. We hope to do that consistently through the summer to allow for conversation to flow a little bit better and to have those breakout kind of sessions in our conversation. But we like to have a, a leadership team that can support those conversations. And so you'll see us spread out around and uh, hopefully make some of those connections that um, that we haven't been able to do as well in rows and pods of chairs for this whole semester, right? Along the way, this summer, we hope to have some things that will get you more acquainted with people, and one of those things is actually going to start not this week, but next week um, at the Forest House. They have a fire pit that they want to start using more often, so they're going to have bonfires at their house on Wednesday nights, through the summer with s'mores every week and volleyball. There are some high stakes volleyball players here. Just so, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. Okay. Um, and there was even talk, if enough interest was there, 
that they have space for a wiffle ball game. <laughs> right? Okay, so not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, that, that'll start to happen. We'll get addresses out there for, or one address, not multiple, just hope you get the right one, right? We'll get one address out there, and uh, it'll probably go through the Remind app. So if you didn't get that down, text at HB Converge to 81010, and you'll get that. Okay, so through our study of Corinthians, we have, um, we've used this theme of benchmark, okay? And the idea of a benchmark is that you have a standard that's there, okay? One that's reliable, one that you can compare other things to, see if it measures up, see if, um, if maybe you're off because the benchmark is true, okay? And that the benchmark of our life, walking through our time on earth, understanding the complexities of even what David Platt was saying there with what do I do with my life, understanding these things, the, the benchmark, the measuring point is the gospel. It's Christ himself and what, and what he's done for us and how life radically changes last week because of the resurrection. That this defining event in history took place and that it changes everything for t- those who believe. And then for us to move forward from there means that we take into account more than just what do I feel like doing or where do I get the most money or what makes me the happiest, but that there's a role in this world designed by God for you to fill. And sometimes we try to put a lot of parameters on that, like this niche that I'm supposed to fit perfectly, and and maybe you're going to feel that way, and maybe you're not. Because what takes, what we take from Scripture as that, as that calling of God sometimes has the less defined shape because the shape is, is Jesus. It's not us, right? That we, we follow him and we represent him and we are his ambassadors to this world. And, and that takes place in any context that you find yourself. Whether you find yourself as a teacher or an engineer or uh, a mom or a dad that stays at home or, or a politician, right? I mean, wherever you find yourself, like that role becomes how you represent Christ to this world. And so we, we can take this benchmark and we can filter through that that lens, so to speak, okay, to change metaphors a little bit. We can filter through uh, that lens all the things that we go through in life to see, okay, so how can I represent God the best in this world? And we've made it to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So as we think back, Paul, you know, usually gives a summary or some like motivational points at the end. He also usually gives these greetings at the end, names a bunch of people with names that are difficult to pronounce and that kind of stuff at the end of, um, of his letters. And so I want to take a minute to review where we've been before we go into where we're going today. Over the course of 1 Corinthians, we talked about divisions in the body. There was a lot of disunity in the church. 
there was arguing about who should who they should follow. There was arguing about how they should do certain stuff. There was there was huge amounts of division in the body. And then not only was there arguments that might just be good-natured arguments or, you know, that good-natured arguments that got out of hand and too much competition, but then there was also blatant sin in the church. And so we saw we saw a lot of talk about sex and marriage in chapters 5 through 7. And it kind of laid out some patterns for us of, of how we should approach relationships a little bit because of what the Corinthians were doing that were, was absolutely out of line. And then we went into chapters 8 through 10, and we saw a lot of stuff about food, specifically food that had been offered to idols and, and where you know, what kind of holiness is attached to food. And so not only just the food, but also the idolatry surrounding that and idolatry in general, the things that we allow to creep into our lives that take the place of God. Then we spent time in chapters 11 through 14 looking at church gatherings. And this took us to a place of, of spiritual gifts, how they should get practiced. Um, it took us to what probably most of us would have said, I know something about 1 Corinthians because I know this, which is chapter 13, right? What was chapter 13? The love chapter. Yep. So the chapter 13, that's in the context of how we, how we relate to each other in, in the church, that all of these gifts that people want, wanted to develop and use in the context of their church that Paul says there's a better way, which is love. That sounds like my child that's crying back there. So I apologize for, uh, for the distraction. And last week, we got to that pivotal event of history that changes the trajectory of anybody who follows Jesus, which is the resurrection. We saw, we saw just how dramatic that shift is when Paul steps up and says, if this isn't real, then why do we do any of this? What's the point? Why should I go through trials? Why should you do any of this religious stuff if the resurrection's not real? And we, we saw quotes that said some similar things from modern, more modern day people. And, and we, I think we bought in, at least I did, I hope you were there with me, that, that the resurrection is so pivotal in this that if it's not true, then what, you know, all of us, if we just believe in Jesus for this time that we're here on earth and we follow him for this time that we're here on earth, then we're to be most pitied because it's a ridiculous effort. So what we see over the course of 1 Corinthians is that they had embraced culture all kinds of stuff, church culture, their society's culture, they had embraced this culture and lost sight of the benchmark of the gospel. They had allowed other things to define how they should follow Jesus, and that was, that was deteriorating their ability to be effective in the work of Christ. And it was deteriorating their ability to follow Jesus themselves because they had allowed these other things to take the place of Jesus. So we make it to 1 Corinthians 16. 
I'm going to read it. This week it's not 58 verses, it's only 24. So I think we can make, through, make it through a little bit quicker than last week. But uh, follow along with me if you've got it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, then they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me. For I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all in his will to come now. He'll come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're going to back up and, and look at how 1 Corinthians 16 breaks down a little bit. And then I'm going to have us break into these table groups for a few minutes of discussion. Okay? So here's how, here's how chapter 16 shapes up. First, Paul gives us some discussion about generosity. Verses 1 through 4. He gives some pretty specific instructions to this church in Corinth on how they should practice generosity. But I think there are some things that are transferable to us. This is, this is going to be um, some, some thoughts for us to lay out in how we can be generous. Number two, um, he gives his travel plans. But they're also indicative of his heart for the people. It's not just his itinerary, but it also discloses, I think, some real passion that he has for the people that, um, that he's working with. And then he has his last instructions, which have two of the most poignant verses that I think are here, two that I have even hung up on the wall in my 
cubicle at work, um, and two that ended up being the theme of our, la our most recent men's conference, uh, really kind of the core of this, to, to say, all right, here's just this package of instructions for you in two quick verses. This, this is how you walk away from all of this. And then lastly, some greetings. Okay, so we're going to take the first two chunks here, verses 1 through 11, broken down into those two categories, and I want you guys to discuss a couple of things. Okay, you can go back, read over those verses. Again, you can just look at the highlights, but I want you to ask these questions. When it comes to generosity, how do you think the recipient of this generosity and the mode of this giving require a focus on the gospel? Okay, now remember that this is... This is in the summary context of what Paul is saying, so there, there is some kind of culmination to the truth that he's been giving that relates to what they're doing here, okay? And so I want you to try to tease this out a little bit. The, the recipients being the Jewish church, the givers being the Corinthian church, how does the recipient of the generosity... And also the mode. Paul gives some really specific thoughts here. Like give weekly. Have it ready when, when we come. Those kind of things. How does the mode of this giving require a focus on the gospel? Okay, so we'll tease that out a little bit um, in just a minute. The second is when it comes to travel plans, how is Paul's heart for these people revealed in his travel plans? Okay, so that's... All of verses 5 through 11, um, some of it is kind of a tangent to the actual travel plans, like where he's going to be or whatever, but, but it'll tell something about his heart for the people, okay? So there at your tables, discuss these things. You can read through the verses again if you need to. You can look at the highlights if you want to, but I want you to discuss these two questions. We'll give it, oh, five or eight minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll culminate um, this conversation in verses 13 and 14. All right, let's, uh, let's bring this back together for a few minutes. Um, we, have, we have more ground to cover, so I want to hear a little bit about what your conversation has developed. So when, when you read these verses of Paul's instructions to be generous, what, what do you see as uh, an indicator of gospel work in somebody's life, the change that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the recipient of this generosity is significant. Anybody? We have to dip into culture, right? The culture of the day. The Corinthian church would be predominantly Gentile, and the Jewish church, well, here's a softball question, would be predominantly Jewish, there you go, yeah, excellent, good job. Okay, so then there would be a natural divide between those people. And so to understand that Paul is saying to them, you need to give out of your abundance to these people that are naturally or, you know, in an, in an earthly sense, not your, uh, your people. It's significant because a lot of what we've talked about in the way the gospel is displayed to other people, the way the work of Jesus develops you, brings about a humility to set your rights aside. 
In fact, that was a key part of the food and idolatry section is that, that we need to be willing to set our rights aside for the name of Jesus. Whether that's here among ourselves, that there's something on my agenda that, that needs to be put aside for your benefit to grow in Christ, or if that's in culture that, that I need to set aside my aspirations for notoriety in my career in order to place myself in the spot in this world where I can make a better investment for the gospel there. So we set aside our rights, and I think that that's part of this, right? That, that the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates for us the need to care for one another in the body, regardless of our presuppositions to how we should relate to them. And then what about the mode of giving? Paul is, is interestingly specific for them to say, on the first day of every week, you should put something aside and store it up, each as you may prosper, he says, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. What do you think the significance of that is? Anybody? Michael. Okay, could be. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul is actually also saying that it shouldn't necessarily be equitable in its exact amounts, right? He actually says to give as you prosper, that there's a certain, you, you, might, um, you might go back to the idea that to whom much is given, much is required, that there's, that there's a, a need to give based on how God has blessed you that you have a responsibility to uh, participate at that level. I think also this, um, this idea of being systematic, of, of giving at a specific time ahead of time, does something to remove emotionalism from it, like a reactionary giving. I was talking with this group here, and, and I, I said, in, in a sense, if you, think, if you, if you were to presume upon ministry a business mindset, then Paul is giving up good business practice of being able to walk into the church, stir up passions, and then take an offering. Right? He's actually telling them, I don't want to take money when I get there. Right? So from, from that kind of very heathenistic picture of, of uh, ministry, you know, forgive me for that. But, but that's, he's actually setting that aside. And what he's saying is that there's a, an intentionality behind their responsibility that needs to be in their giving. And I think that this is a picture of the gospel too. I mean, so much of what they have struggled with is their desire for a feeling or for a response from, from the people around them, the, the culture to accept them, for them to stand out as something. That, that there's, a, there's a, an emotionalism to this that they have wished for. And Paul is separating from emotionalism, this responsibility that they have to follow Jesus in giving, in their generosity. So then we get to um, his travel plans. What did you see about his heart there? Anybody? Yeah, Bob. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't dictating it based on what he could get out of it in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Anything else? Yeah. So a lot of 1 Corinthians, if we were to review all of the ways Paul talks, are one, two punches after another. Like, you got you to gotta get this straight. You got to change what you're, what you're doing. You have to, you, you're wrong. <laughs> right? And now he comes to this last section and says, I want to be there with you. And so this pastoral mindset that Paul has for these people is, I think, extremely evident. That all the bridges that could have been burned by all of these things that he's had to correct have not been burned because of the grace extended to us by Jesus now being extended to others. And so we see his heart for these people in what he's saying there. He also sees them not as projects like Trinity was saying, but participants, which I think is really exciting to see. For some, for a group of people that have been beat up by what, you know, the changes that they need to make. Now Paul says, I want to be there with you so that you can participate in what I'm doing. He actually says, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. That you're a participant in all of this and not just a recipient of what I'm saying. So then Paul goes on and in verses 13 and 14, we're going to have to kind of cut it to uh, to those as, as we look at sort of the end of this. He gives... Five imperatives, two that I'm going to put kind of together there. He says, be watchful, be, uh, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. The first three are how they should react to what they believe in the kind of culture around them and how they should protect themselves and, and, and uh, you know, stand Stand strong in what they believe. And then the last one is how they should relate to each other. Which I think is really important as we walk away from 1 Corinthians. That this be the punchline to all of it. That what you, everything you do needs to be done in love. Okay? Because if we, real quick, real quick, if we take a look back at these things. The divisions that were in the body. Their problems with sex and marriage. The food issues, the idolatry that accompanied it, the church gathering problems where they're fighting over spiritual gifts, all of those things that got pretty direct instruction, how much of it would have been avoided had they done all things in love? If we continually seek to relate to each other in love, the love of Jesus, then the things like battling over who's the best, like we might have a conversation, but we're not going to have a conflict, right? Or, or whether I should set aside my rights and, and not eat this food that's delicious, but was offered to idols, that's, you know, that's what they were discussing, right? Or cheap, delicious, cheap, whichever, you know. So set this aside and not do that because it's for your good, or do I just stand and 
get what I want out of this because it's good for me. If we, if we can act in those situations from a place of love, born out of the grace that's been shown to us, the love that has, born, that has been shown to us and now has created the ability for us to then be new creations and act in that same love, albeit, you know, in our own weakness, then I think it radically changes all of this stuff that we looked at. And so we see that at the end. But, but real quick, let's talk, be watchful. You get the same kind of idea throughout Scripture with things like um, watch for the day of the Lord. Watch for the return of Christ. You've got be watchful because the devil's a roaring lion and he is seeking somebody to devour. You also get in parts of Scripture to be watchful for those things that would creep in to the church and start to break down the effectiveness of the church and the unity of the body. And I think that's where this lies, because that's the context of 1 Corinthians, that there are these things that are breaking, breaking down the body, and we need to be watchful for those things. And then it piggybacks right on to stand firm in the faith, that there is truth that needs to believe, be believed, and it needs to be solid in your life so that you can navigate through the turmoils of life and have this stability, that you can stand firm on what you believe, that you know what you believe, you're seeking after your God, and that you're standing firm when he reveals himself to you and who he is and what he's done. And then, maybe the confusing one, one that inspires me but kind of like, you know, how does this relate to me for some of you, act like men. Alright, so do we immediately just like turn off this for half of, half of you in the room? No. Alright, so th- you might be aware that uh, the Old Testament would have been written in Hebrew and the New Testament mostly in Greek. And, and yet, however, there is an Old Testament um, translation in Greek. And so as you kind of draw out what does Paul mean by his word that he's using here, which does in fact have a root of men in it the so the term here act like men kind of fits what the word is but it's used in the same type of sense uh when you talk to say joshua be strong and of a good courage you read that in the psalms too psalm um let's see i wrote it down here 31 24 that there's this idea of be strong and courageous so these things go together it's kind of like be mature and yes it does carry a manhood type of word in the actual literal translation of the word, but it's, in, it's not gender specific in its application. That we have a maturity that we need to step into, and we need to hold this with courage and um, determination to do what's right because it's right. And we have a stability that comes from our faith, and then we have a strength based on the empowering spirit of God in our lives, that we, can, that we can be strong in what we believe. And so all of this is sort of in the context of, of defenses, right? That we build up a protection around ourselves, guardrails to stand firm in what's true. And then within those guardrails, as we relate to one another and as we interact with those outside, of the guardrails. 
that we let all that we do be done in love. And Josh alluded to this last week. If you were here and he, he talked about his takeaways from the men's conference, which revolved around these verses right here. And Pastor Nathan gave this dramatic imagery of the Maasai warriors wearing their red, um, their red cloak to be an identifier. And you think of then how that relates to love in our lives, that that should be our defining characteristic. And it's not just an assumption based on these verses, but a direct quote from, um, from 1 John that we need to let, uh, that we need to be known by our love. Is that 1 John? You can check me on that one. That we need to be known by our love. That that's going to be one of the defining characteristics of, of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus in this world, that we can do all these things in love. And sometimes... What is truly love doesn't feel like love to the recipient at the time. Okay, I think we can be honest with that, right? Uh, but, but that if we can come from a heart of love and what's good based on the truth of Scripture and how we can share that with others, then all that we do needs to be done in love. And sometimes that's actually speaking the harsh words like Paul did in this letter. To the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians, they're not the first Corinthians. It's just the first letter to the Corinthians. But sometimes it's saying the hard things when they need to be said, instead of just backing off and saying, "You do you." Okay. So as we wrap up, we're going to have small groups this week. The conversations will have to probably go to there because there is a group coming in after us today. Um, we can't stick around very, very, for very long. I want you to understand this. It's possible to do all things in a very wrong way. And that we need to let love be our defining quality. We can be so abrasive that we are ineffective. And while truth needs to be stated, it needs to be stated in, in a way that's loving. So as you take it, take it from here. Be generous on purpose. Okay? I think that's part of what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Be generous on purpose. Okay? Don't be generous just in a reactionary way. Like you get all teary-eyed about something and then your grip on your wallet gets loose. Okay? That's not, that's not the way to do this. Be generous on purpose. Seek to know what's right and then courageously stand for it. Be known by your love for others. And I'll send these questions out to, um, to our small group leaders uh, for discussion this week. But here's how I would like you to try to f figure out how it applies to you. How should you better practice generosity? In what way can you better practice generosity? What are you doing to know God better? What are, what, what are your steps to get to know God better? Are you spending time with him? Are you, are you seeking his face? What's the limit of your courage when it comes to standing firm in the faith? Like where would you draw the line? I'm willing to go this far and no further. And then lastly, who do you need to show love to this week? Okay, now again, we're way over time. We can't stay too long in here. They're ready to turn this over to the next group. But 
come back Tuesday night, Thursday night, small groups, and we'll be able to discuss this. If you want, if you didn't get this and you want that, I'll leave that up for while we wrap up, wrap things up. But let me pray for you. We're so glad that you're here. Keep coming back next week and through the summer. More things are happening, and we're excited about what it's going to be. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time that we've spent in 1 Corinthians and all the truth that we've been faced with and how we need to adjust our lives and measure what we're doing on the benchmark of Jesus Christ. Father, help us this week to be generous. Help us to be loving. Help us to stand firm in the faith that we have, the belief that, that you are here and it changes how we, uh, how we respond to the situations that we come across. Father, we pray that you would be pleased with how we, um, how we reflect you to the people around us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Again, um, new connections is happening momentarily in here, so we need to, we need to move out. Um, but feel free to stick around outside if you want to, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.